Welcome to another episode of Your Louisville Today. I'm Jesse Bartholomew, and this is the last episode of season one. I'll be back later in the year with a new set of conversations, but for our grand finale, my guest today is Max Atherton. Max is the business manager at Audi Louisville, and during our talk, we discussed cars, of course, the pandemic, business, politics, and lots of other fun stuff. So enjoy the episode, and don't forget to subscribe, share, and review. Thanks. Hi, Max. Thanks for coming to talk with me live and in person. Thank you, Jesse. Hello. Let's go ahead and dive right in. How long have you been a Louisvillian? Uh, my whole life. Born and raised? Yep. All right, and you haven't left yet. Nope. Okay. What is it Don't about Louisville it. that's keeping you here? Uh, I think the thing that people love and hate about Louisville is that everybody knows everybody. Mm-hmm. So I love that. I love being able to go out and about and say, hey, how you doing? See somebody I know from whether it be work or neighbors or whatever it is, old family, friends. It's nice to be able to kind of know and see and talk to people. And it just makes it feel like more that much more home. Like a big city with small town vibes. Yes. It's and good. Big cities for me, you know, Chicago, all those kind of places. No, a lot of people have gone there and done that. It's not for me. Fun to visit. Correct. Not not to live so Correct. much. Correct. Absolutely. All right. Let's talk about your background a little bit. Okay. So, uh, let's see. Went to Bloom Elementary. Went to Highland Middle. Then went to my namesake, Atherton, for high school, obviously. Okay. Are you related to the Athertons? Yes, we are. Okay. Yeah. Very, uh... I uh, had no choice in that matter. Okay. But I was big into music, and uh, I'd been playing music since, gosh, elementary school. They had like a pilot band program where the band instructor at Highland would come to Bloom like during recess. So I actually forfeited my recess always in elementary school. Wow. To play music. Wow. <laughs> which most very unusual. Which most kids that right wouldn't yeah. do that. So. Did the whole music feeder thing, did Highland, then went to Atherton and played in band forever and ever, and did jazz band, marching band, concert band. I was a total band geek, to use the cliched phrase. What happens? Are you still musical? Yeah, I am. The okay. issue, the problem with, with music is when you make it a job, and again, I knew people that did, you begin to resent it. And for me, music was always a thing where it was like, it was a release it was a freedom of expression, especially in jazz band. You know, I do, you know, uh, improvising, you know, or just songs going on. You just kind of play and do your own thing. However yeah. you were feeling that day, it kind of came out that way. And, you know, if you turn it into a job, you turn it into, I got to play for this group and I got to, it begins to really take the fun away. It's from no it. fun anymore. So I made the decision my senior year that I was not going to push forward with, uh, with, music in a professional sense just a personal sense so fair enough once high school was over took a gap year um my parents moved to chicago that year my stepdad got a job up there so i actually took one gap year between high school and college and uh figured i'll go up to chicago and live for a year so that's when i talked about the big city thing actually technically for one you year a little less a than a year i gave it a try and okay. it was not what i wanted to do Came back, went to Bellarmine, um, then did my whole thing at Bellarmine for a year and was like, ah, I really want to do a bigger school thing. So then I transferred to Alabama and went to Alabama for a while, then came back after I was done and here we are. So are you an Alabama fan? Old Tide. Okay. Are you a Louisville <laughs> fan too? Nope. 
You're not a Louisville fan. No. I'm going to have to edit that part out, I think. My mom my mom <laughs> grew up a Kentucky fan, and I remember vividly, like, the Christian Leitner thing, and those images are burned in my mind, and I don't begrudge Louisville by any means. I, like, last night, I was with a buddy, and they came on, we're playing Notre Dame, I think, mm-hmm. and of course, you'd love to see him win, but if Louisville and Kentucky play, I'm going for Kentucky all day long. Okay. <laughs> Um, so then after that, I uh, did some political work um, because I had interned for the House while I was in college. I went to D.C. and spent a whole summer there, lived oh, in wow, D.C., okay. worked in D.C. with that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, came back and did some work for Mitch McConnell, the party here, and then just kind of got into that rut with politics, the same sort of thing. It's like really hard to make a career out of that unless you're going to run for office, but like when you're, you know... 20, 21 years old, and you're just a staffer. Or a, it's a grind, I'm sure. Uh, here's 1500 bucks a month. It's like, wow, okay, that's like, you know, the price of an apartment and nothing else. Yeah. You know, and it just became where I was like, I just, I can't do that. So, always have loved cars my whole life. Always have loved cars. And I just thought, I'm going to try to stick my head in the car business. So, I started at Mercedes when Tapple was still Tapple out there on Shelbyville Road. Mm-hmm. Sort of washing cars, literally, you know, a porter is the technical position, and you just move the cars back and forth, park them, clean them up, all that stuff. So I literally started at the very bottom rung of the car business, saw all kinds of angles. From there, went to Honda World, and I did what they call kind of like service sales. So you work the service aisle for people to buy cars, and how that works is, let's say. You come in with your 2002 Honda Accord that you're driving till the wheels fall off. Mm-hmm. You've got a $10,000 bill on it or something crazy. Instead of putting money in that car, here, I'll take you out and put you in you know, a new car and try to get you to sell a new car. So that was that whole thing at Honda World. And I worked that side of things and then went to Bluegrass after that. I've been at Bluegrass now for five years. Okay, so talk about Bluegrass because it's, like, it's sort of like multiple dealerships under yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. So, Bluegrass is all owned by one family. Uh, it's the Vines and the Haynes. Um, they have, moving from our, literally looking at the campus in our eyes, we've got Audi, Porsche, Maserati, Alpha, Jaguar, Land Rover. Okay. And I say Jaguar, Land Rover, most of it's all Land Rovers. Nobody's, Jaguars are a very small percentage of the business they do. It's really? all Land Rovers. Because I see them all over the place all in Land town. Rovers. All Land Rovers. Okay. But, yeah, so... I specifically have always been with Audi in the group. Okay. I started at sales and then... Did you choose Audi or did Audi choose you? I walked in that day. I walked into Audi. Okay. Uh, funny story. I walked into Audi. That didn't know anybody from Adam. Walked in. At that point, I had that old Jeep Grand Wagoneer. <laughs> and I walked, pull in my old Jeep. <laughs> had a bow tie on, red pants. And one of the new car managers, who's now one of my best friends, Brett, he said... I bet you that guy went to Alabama. Yeah. <laughs> before I even walked in. Yeah. And sure enough, I did. But yeah, he they hired me, and I was in sales for three years, and then I've been in finance now the past two. So, that's. So you're not selling at all anymore. Is that a relief? No, I mean no, I don't know. It's, it's selling. I do. You know, the thing I miss about selling was you know, being able to the horrible whole philosophy there revolves around selection so the idea for us is we're not selling you a car we're just literally guiding you through a process Mm -hmm. to make sure what car you want is the right one for you because 
honestly, in sales, as far as sales goes, it's like a really nice house. It's going to sell itself. I was going to say, it's the same the, thing the we car, do. We're cars, not picking out your house for you. Right, the cars We're sell themselves. We're just facilitating the process. Right, exactly. so it's like, you know, do you need seven seats? Uh, you don't really need seven seats. Well, you know, then here's the Q5 or here's the sedan or whatever it is. So, you know, that part of the process was always fun because I've always loved those cars. I know everything about them. Mm -hmm. um, and it really was nice to be able to showcase your knowledge and feel like you're really making a difference and having those people select the right car they want and feel great about it. Yeah. Finance, yeah, it's totally different side of the coin. <laughs> I don't have to know anything about the cars per se, but it's a different side of the business that I like to learn and like to know about. And You're still in that general environment. Yes. And, yeah. and I have a lot of clients that I sold cars to that come repeat, you know, after their leases are up mm -hmm. or whatever. And it's just funny seeing them on a different side of the, you know, table, so to speak, because I have to turn them over to a salesperson I trust because at the end of the day, I did originally get those people. Yeah, there, and and it's going to be a reflection on you, whatever. You know, right. Yeah. I don't want them to go away or, or yeah. feel like I dropped the ball on them. So in that kind of flip side of the coin, you know, uh, yes, I'm still kind of active, but I do miss it some. I mean, finance can be a little bit boring. Paperwork's never really fun. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not. So, um... Why, why Audi? You drive an Audi. So why Audi? Well, Audi for me, you know, what they'll, and I hate, I don't want to sound too canned here, but you know, they tell us Audis have three main tenets about them. They're sporty, progressive, and sophisticated. It's what they want you to believe and know when you drive that car. And I sincerely believe it. I believe it. You know, they're fast, sometimes too fast get some trouble you know if you drive too fast on the yeah. expressway you don't even know you're going 90 and you are uh obviously progressive got a lot of great technology in them you know touch screens and you know radar guided cruise control and automatic lights and this and that and massaging seats if you need them and mm -hmm. obviously then sophisticated too you're getting a well-built car that you know the engineering you know that goes into those you really appreciate the links that these guys go to to be able to make these cars what they are and you know it's like to think about you know the rs7 we have it's does 200 miles an hour and can carry four golf bags and it's, it's like gorgeous name me another car that can do that yeah you know? it's like it's just insane yeah so it is i have had let's see four audis now and oh wow i've loved every single one of them okay absolutely yeah every once in a while i've driven my mom's and i don't even like driving it because it's just a reminder of how slow my car is like you have to what do you drive i drive a little mitsubishi outlander it go. has four wheel drive there you go and it's beat my dad's subaru outback <laughs> or forester in the mud so it's good off-roading uh, but it's really slow right well you know <laughs> i mean that's the thing you got to remember though every car like if you pulled a car from 30 years ago that was fast 30 years ago, it's as slow as can be compared to today's standards. You yeah. know, it's like... It's, Have you driven a Tesla? Yes. What do you think about that? Um, well, here's the thing. <laughs> you know, it's... Teslas, they're cool and they have a lot of gimmicks and... But it, honestly, it feels like a grown-up, like, RC car. It feels like a toy at times. And the build quality is not really there, in my opinion. Uh, you know, I think what Elon Musk has done for the industry and how he's kind of revolutionized it, no doubt. I mean, he has companies like Audi following in his proverbial footsteps with our e-tron and trying to get our lineup electrified now. But right. it's like there's still like this air about 
it's just not a grown up enough car. Your there's, answer is the same as any racing enthusiast or any like car enthusiast I've ever talked to you about it. Like it's great for what it is, but it's almost like a separate conversation. Right. So. I mean, to have like a you know a whoopee cushion function, which they have. Ah, uh, yeah. It's like wh- why? The, and the fire. Right. <laughs> why? I mean, like at the end of the day, yes, a car is point A to point B. If you are a racing enthusiast, yeah, it's great to go on the track. But if you actually drive that car around a track, you're going to deplete your battery in half the time that you're really allowed to do because you're driving it so hard, you know? It's yeah. just like when you were a kid and you opened up a battery-powered present and on Christmas Day and you used it. And then like, it was a huge bummer. And then it was dead and, and you, you had to, to charge it up. Yeah. Correct. It's the yeah. exact same principle. I just, true. I know I'm not into that. Just not into that. That's true. So if you didn't drive an Audi, what would you be driving? What are, what other cars do you like? Well, I, know I you have to answer. I know it's tough. Yeah, it is tough, but I like everything. I like old cars. So, you know, yes, I drive a new car, but old cars for me have always been, they kind of have like a character and a soul. You know, it's like, yeah, it's going to squeak and it's going to rattle when you do this. Or if it's cold outside, the blinker's not going to work or this or that. It's always like that character. But my dream car, which I did have but then sold, um, is a Jeep Ram Wagoneer. To me, that is, ever since I've been a little kid, that's all I want in this life. You sold your dream car. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Okay. That one specifically, it was just, the timing was wrong when I had it needed a lot more work than I was at the time able to do and I just had to like good for you for making the responsible decision yeah my dad gave me his old Cherokee an 87 Cherokee so in lieu of what I really want I'm kind of have a substitute right now okay that's the one that's being worked on right now yes but at the end of the day that um any old Mercedes um probably another dream car would be like a 72 Mercedes 600 the big giant yeah sedan uh, the 290 horsepower V8, which in 1972 was unheard of. Uh, you know, hydraulic windows, everything. The car had a refrigerator. And Revolutionary. It, yes, and back in the day. <laughs> and, and I mean, anybody that drove that car basically had access to an Air Force. They were either a dictator or, you know. So it was very interesting clientele. So regardless, yeah. if you picked up one used, which you'd have to, obviously. Definitely someone interesting owned it before. You're buying a little piece of history. Definitely someone interesting owned it before. Yeah. Like Roy Orbison the other day, they had on Bring a Trailer, Roy Orbison had a Mercedes 600. It ended up going <laughs> for $400,000. Because he owned it. Yeah, and yeah. that and they're just worth a lot. Yeah. So that'd be up there too, I would think. Not a convertible kind of guy though. A lot of people like, I, I don't want like the old... convertibles either. No. No. Interesting. Handling wise, it's not there. They're, you know, basically... If I told you to took, take two bricks and then hold them together with a straw. That's that's a convertible. When you take the roof off a car, you and ruin its rigidity. And yeah, it's great to go cruise up and down the road in, but to actually do anything interesting or fun in it, like a corner, it's not mm-hmm. going to do it. Mm-hmm. Indeed. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about COVID. COVID. Um, nice. Because you are in one of the industries that I think it affected a whole whole lot, right? It did. It did. So, March and April, kind of like we were talking about a little bit before we started, March and April was very hard for us because the the biggest problem was the unknown. I mean, it was like, you know, you had a known unknown. Yes, we know this is going on. But, I mean, we, you know, in the very beginning, it was like, if I touch a pin and somebody had corona, is that pin going to give me corona? 
Yeah. Does it live on surfaces? Yeah. People were Go freaked out to pump gas. Right. I mean, it was this whole thing. And so for those first two months, and then when the governor ordered showrooms to be closed, we technically, yes, were an essential business because of service side of things. But we had, you know, showroom was closed, so nobody could come in. Salesmen all were working from home, so they got a nice little extended vacation, which I never got because managers all had to come in. <laughs> But I would show up to work because in jeans and a t-shirt, basically. Cause You're not going to see anybody. No coming in. Yeah. And we would still have, every so often, you know, somebody, yes, buy a car. And it was, but all the paperwork had to be mailed to them. So at that point, really, I was almost like a clerk at the postal service, you know, marking stuff where to sign, putting it in packages and sending it off and then getting it back and scanning it in. And it was tough because, you know, inventory, you know, they shut down the factories. And that wasn't in the immediacy. That kind of took place probably about six months after that. But those first two months were very, very hard. But then everything started picking up, uh, I guess, because what the market was doing and, and what was going on there. And we had all kinds of sales. Um, actually, in May, we were third in the region. We actually beat out two Chicago area stores. Wow. Which never happens. Wow. Because those stores, you know, it was a combined, yes, we did a really good job, but also they were so hindered. They were so shut down because yeah. it's so much bigger. They couldn't do so anything. Bigger, yeah. Right. So May was huge. Um, and then, you know, uh, once we started selling a lot of cars, then we hit the issue with production because the factories had been shut down. So typically on our lot, we would have anywhere from, you know, 120 to 160 cars. At one point, it was down to like, 40 and every other dealer was the same so normally you know if you come in you're like yes so you have the a4 i want but i really want it with beige interior and the only one you have is brown we would say okay we'll go search for the other dealer see if they've got one everybody's in the same boat nobody had anything so and a lot of times when it was for our salespeople, you know it was this is the only car yeah. you can get. I mean, it's, yeah. you're not going to get it. You know? So were people compromising or were they saying, yeah. I'm just going to wait? No, there were people that compromised. There were some people that did say they were going to wait. And typically when you order an Audi, your normal turnaround time is, you know, 90 to 120 days. We had people waiting six plus months. Wow. Seriously, wow. That, that they were already in leases. You know, an Audi only allows you to extend your lease so many months before you have to turn your car back in mm -hmm. usually we time it so that their new car comes in when their old lease is up and some people had to actually turn in their car and basically be without a car until their new one came in because there was no real alternative you yikes know? it was tough it was unprecedented you know for our salespeople too you know one of the things that i never had to deal with when i was in sales but they had to was like on test drives we can't go on test drives Oh, you were just handing people your keys. Basically, yeah. We put them on a dealer plate, signed a loaner agreement saying, you know, hey, go out and wreck this car while you're test driving it. You're liable. Get their insurance, driver's license, et cetera, et cetera. But you couldn't be out with them and say, hey, while we're driving here, go ahead and push this button and let me show you what that does. Yeah. So that was totally removed. And I can't imagine doing that. Very strange. Very hard and to just, just say. You're just waiting when they get back. Like, so what do you think? Yeah. That's what it is, and that's what they're used to now because we still can't go on test drives. Okay. So wait, that's been our normal operating procedure now for close to a year. I'm not going to lie. Like, as a consumer, I kind of love that. No, I know. I kind of do just want to be in the car by right. myself for a minute. Right. So I... For all the people out there that want to do that, 
Now's now the time. time. <laughs> now is your time to do that because you can literally, you are bound by the rules to not have someone in your car. Yeah. You go out by yourself and do your own thing. That's really interesting. I had not thought about that. Yeah. But between, you know, that supply, demand, you know, um, the manufacturers had to do all sorts of things. You know, I'm sure everybody's seen 0% here, 0% there, trying to get people to come out. Yeah. You know, um, it was just really, in the beginning, it was very hard. But then once we kind of got our process down, you know, here's how we do on test drives. Here's what we do with paperwork. Here's what we do with, you know, trying to navigate limited inventory. Once you get your process down, we've got it down pat pretty well. So are things pretty much back to normal as far as, like, numbers? I mean, yeah, sort of. I mean, back okay. to where we usually kind of sit, um, you know, those first two months were tough, but generally speaking, you know, there's been steady, steady numbers every month. And it's always, you know, a little more new, a little more used than new, but now used cars are going through the roof. I mean, any used car you see right now, prices have probably gone up because inventory on new cars, cars. right. And it's all a trickle down. So right now we're selling more new than we were ever were before. And the manufacturers are very happy about that. Yeah. But you know, it's been it's been very, very difficult and you know, at Audi being the Highline store, also our Jaguar and Land Rover and Porsche and Maserati stores, you know, we actually have a you know, obviously have a little more affluent of a customer base, so we weren't hit as hard compared to some of my comrades at, you know, Ford and Chevy and mm-hmm. domestic stores because those are the people that, you know, some of those price ranges are lower and customers their traditional customer base is probably hit a little harder. But so luckily, and I do thank my lucky stars every day, you know, I've gone into work every day. I never work from home. I can't work from home. It's not an option for me. You know, I can't sign people up and yeah. talk to people and unless yeah. I'm there. Gone to work, done my thing, trying to keep my head down low, keep business going and just moving forward. That's all you can do. And genuinely, I think I, I Thank all that I can for that because it is, there are so many people out there that that has not been the case. Yeah, absolutely. And it's been hard and you feel for them and you, you just, all you can do is just not take what you got for granted because man, it could be a lot worse. It always could. Yep. Genuinely. Very true. Anyway. (laughs) Let's, uh, let's talk about your future a little bit. Well, Whoa. let's talk about your letter to the editor. Let's talk about my letter about to the that? editor. We can we can talk about bits and pieces. Of and that. that was to the Courier Journal, right? It was right? to the Courier Journal. Um, it was interesting. So, um, not to get too political, but I, I wrote that letter in in response to what happened January sixth, uh, the Capitol riots. Oh, I didn't realize it was that recent. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, it was. Two weeks ago, I think it got published. Okay. So basically wrote that letter in response to that kind of put a catalyst in my mind because I had been, like I told you, I'd interned for Congress. I'd been in those very halls, gone through those same doors, been in those offices, been in the rotundas, been in the Senate chambers, been in the House chambers, been underground, done all of it. And I watched live that day unfold. I mean, I was on the news. It was, it was a Wednesday. Yeah. Like it is today. And, um, you know, I mean, there are certain points I just, I had tears in my eyes. It was really very upsetting for me to watch because 
the one thing I loved about DC is even though there is such stalemate that we hear about with one side not want to appease the other and no one coming together no one just happens to be in DC because they're in DC you were there for a reason so you know I was there as an intern you know one of the best stories I, I talked about was towards the end of my stay there the last week I had a meeting with Senator McConnell and he was running behind that day because he's Senate Majority Leader at the time. Guy's got a real busy schedule. He's got a lot to do. Right. And I was in his office, and because it was like a doctor's office, you know, when one, when he starts running behind, everybody starts stacking oh, up. Yeah. We're all sitting in the lobby. Oh, so yeah. I'm in the lobby with a four-star general, uh, a Tibetan monk, me, and a group of future farmers from America from Paducah. Okay. <laughs> that was my, you know, picture of D.C. Here are four or five people in a room that are here because we're sharing in our nation's capital and our elected leadership, and we're here for a reason and a purpose. We don't, yeah. We're not just sitting here for fun. And what really upset me about that day was what happened. It was the same thing. Yeah, they came there for a purpose, but they came there to destroy and to, to really disrupt the democratic process of electing a president, which we have done successfully up until then for 200 plus years yeah <laughs> it was really really disheartening uh for me to watch that and i can't imagine you know being there that day and and the fear and the uncertainty and people it was very upsetting and then so my letter to the editor long story short <clears throat> was um in response to marjorie taylor green you know the QAnon woman who uh, the fact I mean, she's actually really said 9-11 wasn't real and you know, these school shootings were staged and stuff. And it's just absolutely terrible, you know, because I am a Republican. I know it's a dirty word now. <laughs> but, you know, I, my letter to the editor basically said, look, and I was really talking to people our age because that's the people that are turned off by all of this, is that there are people out there that are our age that just say, I'm a Republican because... I believe in lower taxes, smaller government, and a strong foreign policy overseas. I don't believe in the party of QAnon. I don't believe in conspiracy Radical theories. I don't believe it's it's horrible. And I say you got to stand up, deny this, do not let them take over the primaries because that's what they're going to try to do, and just stand on principles, you know. And and that's all you can try to do. And unfortunately, you know, the whole impeachment vote and things, the way that whole went down, there was a lot of people I feel like that could have made a difference that didn't. Um, because they're scared, and I get it. I mean, politics is, there's no margin for error. You win, you lose. Yeah. You succeed, you don't. Yeah. Your vote passes, it doesn't. And... And eyes are all on you all the time. Right, and it's hard. And, and you know, I don't envy Senator McConnell. Uh, he's in a hard, hard spot. But at the end of the day, you know, he's, love him or hate him, he's been there for as long as he has, and he's... He knows the process, and we at least have to say he is the minority leader, and we got to trust his judgment on this one. And I just, I was really disappointed in, in the fact that those people even had five minutes to speak in a public setting. You know, those those QAnon people and yeah. Warren Bieber or whatever carrying a gun on the House floor. I'm like, why? I mean, it's just, <laughs> you don't need to do that. No, you don't. You know, it's like, I don't go take a gun to Kroger. You know, it's just anyway it's it's very un unfortunate i just i think that 
millennials are ready for someone not only their own age but also someone with similar experiences and backgrounds to kind of stand up and make a difference and and I think it's hard when when the media of course they're going to get more hits on stories about the QAnon Republicans. Yeah, the loudest I think that people, people in the room. People our age forget that there are even Republicans that still represent, you know, not that. Right. I mean, it's like, you know, if I ever wanted to run for office, it's almost like I'd have to run as an independent now because so many they've it's been the Republican Party has been so muddied by these people and I do say these people because those people are just they're terrible but uh, you know uh, that it's like it'd be a dirty word if I was running they would think I support that which that's the furthest thing from it you know uh, call me a rhino call me a Rockefeller Republican call me whatever you want I've been called it before but I've also never changed my mind on things and some people say I'm still stuck in you know 2008 when John McCain was running for president <laughs> or I remember as a kid holding up a Bush Cheney sign in my dad's front yard well mm-hmm. if I'm still stuck in that part of time at least I haven't changed my viewpoints since then you know I'm not ebb and flow I don't I don't believe in all that you know for people to have stuff be convenient for them it's just it's very unfortunate I feel like a lot of people believe politicians say and do whatever they can to be elected you know, if I ever ran, I would say, here's what I've done. Here's what I haven't done. I've done this. I've had a stupid night here. I've probably drank too much, and I've done this before. And Yeah. Go ahead. Prosecute me. Shoot me. Don't elect me. They're going to find out anyway, so perfect. you might as well be up front about it. Have at it. Have at it. <laughs> We're all human. And to try to pretend that you're not or you're perfect yeah. or that you can't say or do what you believe is truly right just because you believe in it, it's just it's the death of our political process because... At this point, we're letting Fox News and MSNBC decide the way our politicians think and not the people, and I think it's very unfortunate. I really do. Well, you've given us a lot of thought, it sounds like. So am I allowed to ask? Uh, <laughs> is this really something you're considering? It would be something I'm considering, public? yes, yes. Okay. 100% I'm considering it. It's, okay, even though you said you would not ever want to be in Mitch McConnell's shoes. Well, some of those shoes he's put himself <laughs> in. He has, but okay. truthfully, no, no, no. I wouldn't want to be in his shoes insofar as the way that the party is, he's stuck in a middle ground. I would think that hopefully by the time I were to decide to do something, cooler heads have prevailed and we're back to a little bit more of a normal. You know, in the end of the day, the, the more time you give people to cool down and things, time heals all wounds. And yeah. I would just hope that that's happened by the time I decide to do something if I decide to do something it just depends on you know I do love my work I do love my job that's a huge commitment and uh, you know but I also am guided by principle Mm -hmm. and I also remember being a kid that every morning when I had my bowl of cereal I ate it on a placemat that had all the presidents and that point it was up to Bill Clinton hadn't gotten to Bush or Obama or anything it was back in the day now but um, (laughs) I always would sit there and stare and, and know who the 16th president was, who the, you know, I would yeah. memorize all that stuff. And point is, I've always cared. And I can't ever, no matter what I'm doing with work or what's going on with life, I can never get that part out of me. That is like, it's like having a, a dog that's a herding dog. It's bred into it to want to nip at your heels, even though it's not a herding dog anymore. It's the same thing with me. You can't breed those politics out of me. They're going and, you to know, be there. people say career politicians like it's a bad thing, but but 
the reverse of that is they are like you. They care so much. It's so ingrained in them that it's what they've always wanted to do. Like, right. that doesn't mean that they're just like manipulating us just because they've been politicians for a long time. No, you know, the, the, the idea, I mean, a lot of the time with the Senate, you know, people get upset about, you know, how long people have been in office. Well, the Senate is built on seniority, you know, committee rankings are mm -hmm. given out based on how long somebody's been there. Ranking members, the Senate president pro tempore is third in line of the presidency and the longest serving member of the center. That's how that position is You want is him out. to know what the heck he's doing. Right. And, you know, <laughs> to have, you know, theoretically, if you had term limits, I mean, you know, you'd have somebody that's beating somebody out by, you know, six hours of being sworn in, you know, because that's where you'll get to. Yeah. I'm senior by six you know, hours and two days more than you, you know. You don't want to get to that kind of point. But on the flip side of the coin, you don't want to get people that have been in there so long they do get out of touch, and that does happen. Yeah. You know, sure. the House of Representatives being elected every two years helps a little bit. But even then, it's surprising to think that, you know, Congressman Yarm has been there since 2006. And, you know, I can't really tell you what he's done for us. Not a bad guy. He's a nice guy. But sometimes I wonder, you know, hey, can we maybe have some somebody different in there that maybe he's a little younger and can try to be a little more in touch. So I don't know. We'll see. Depends. Okay. <laughs> the political winds are always changing. So it's fun to watch how how excited you are talking about this. I get excited. You, you are very genuine. People have always thought I'm a big nerd because, you know, I, <laughs> I obsess over this stuff. But, you know, I'm a pretty open book. And usually with me, it's cars and politics. And it's going to be one of the two that day. It depends on which one you pick. So in this case, we talked about both. <laughs> Do you, have you read a lot of Hunter Thompson, I'm sure? Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, what do you think he'd think about all this? Gosh, you know, just the, the, the chaos that is, it's, it's... It would make for some great writing, wouldn't it? Would. You know, the, the way everything, how chaotic it is and how, you know, minute-to-minute -minute things are. But, you know, it's, uh, like I said, it's, just have to wait and see what happens. It's all we can do. Just go to the polls, vote. I always tell everybody, vote, 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 vote. Yep. Because... You know, I've been of the school of thought, don't vote, can't complain. Yes. Fine if you have a differing viewpoint. Perfect. Love for you to have that. But don't go and not vote and then come to complain to me about the way things are. Well, you didn't help or hurt. You did nothing. So I have no sympathy for And you. it was lovely last year. In and out. So nice. I think there were some things last year that, and, and much to, to people's chagrin probably saying this, that needed to be changed about the voting process that Corona made easier. You know, uh, part of voter turnout is making it easy to vote. And I think being able to change the system and go to really any polling place, I mean, yeah, perfect. I'll go and, you know, show my ID. I do believe to show your ID, but show my ID. Here I am. Let me vote. Done. You know, and I think that was a positive. And I think mm -hmm. that helped with the huge turnout we had in our last election. Mm -hmm. I really do. Yeah. I don't think people were illegally voting like it's been alleged. I just think you had a lot more people that were, it was easier for them to vote. Yeah. Truthfully. You know? I mean, Australia has near 100% voter turnout. And part of the reason they do that is because if you don't vote, they charge you like a menial $3 fine or something. And people are like, don't want to pay the I fine. I'll go ahead and vote. That. Right. 
may have near perfect voter turnout. And isn't it so funny? Like it's just three dollars, but it's like the the principle of it. Like yeah. I'm not gonna to... get a fine for not voting. It's but... like getting a parking ticket. You <laughs> yeah, know? It's yeah, like yeah, I'll yeah. go drive around the block one more time to see if there's a different yeah. spot. You just don't want to have to pay the stupid. T- it's the exact same principle. But that's interesting. In our society, in our election this past year, like I said, allowing people to vote and to have an easier path to vote and you know ability to go to a different place or mail in. Definitely, mm-hmm. 100% agree with that. Way easier. Yeah. Way easier. And the more people you have vote, the more realistic your elections are and in touch with the people, so to speak. So. Anyway. Good. I like it. Okay. Um, you've lived in Louisville almost your whole entire life, except for Chicago and Alabama, mm-hmm. briefly. Mm-hmm. Where do you eat? Where do I eat? Yeah. Okay. Well, had Jack Fry's for lunch today. I uh, yeah. love Jack Fry's. One of my favorite uh, just casual stomps is Frankfurt Avenue Beer Depot. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Love to go get a beer, you know, have some pulled pork sandwiches. Um, Del Frisco's now that it's back open. I heard it's really good. It is. Yeah. It's like going to Z's, except now you have actual, more of a real atmosphere because Z's had a nice atmosphere and then Del Frisco's had good food. But the old Del Frisco's, their mm-hmm. atmosphere was kind of like. Now they've got it all. Right? Okay. Yep. So, uh, go there a lot. Uh, even though it's a chain, love J. Alexander's or Redlands Grill. It's a good lunch spot. It's a good it business is. lunch it spot. It is. It's a good spot to yeah. go to. Their fries um, are amazing. Definitely. Uh, my day-to-day lunch spot, if I was to go to, like in the middle of my work day, can't beat Morristelli over on Taylorsville Road. Karen Deeves is oh, what it used to be called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to live on Kalen right behind it. Right. Yeah. Old school. Good but sandwiches. Love that place. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a great shout out that's a good one absolutely Um, but you know other than that I'm pretty much it's kind of those places it's always meat and potatoes and you know okay so are you are you going to stay in Louisville are you Mm -hmm. planning on staying in Louisville until you go to D.C. (laughs) nice catch we'll see (laughs) maybe but yes Louisville 100% Not, not, not changing my mind anytime soon on that one okay that's good I think we need you well, I appreciate that. <laughs> we'll see. All right. Is there anything else we need to mention before we hop off here? I don't think so. It's been it's enjoyable. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. You're very interesting. Well, thanks for saying that. All right. So we're telling everybody that they need to go get a new Audi when they are ready to get a new car, right? Absolutely. Or Porsche or okay. any, any Anywhere of the bluegrass, bluegrass, any other bluegrass brands. We'll take care of you. All right. Sounds good. Thank you, Max. All right. Thanks, Jesse. Thanks again for listening to Your Louisville today. As I mentioned at the top of the episode, I am taking a break for now, but I'll be back later on with season two with a whole new group of guests. So stay tuned. And in the meantime, continue to support these people and these local businesses. Also, in the meantime, if you love podcasts, check out my other podcast, Kentucky History and Haunts, which is also available wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you all so much and take care.